0: Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth, or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Christian and Alex Giebert. Today's moment is from the cantata, Ich steh mit einem Fuß im Krapa, BWV 156, Second Movement. I stand with one foot in the grave. There are two sort of almost pithy, like, sayings or aphorisms. (laughs) At least they sound that way in English, Uh, probably not in German. Um, Right in this movement here, I stand with one foot in the grave. And then later in the same movement, there's the German phrase, Ist alles gut, wenn gut das end. Which means it's all good that ends good, which is basically saying all's well that ends well, right? <laughs> and it, it's a, it seems like almost a little macabre to say that when we're talking about dying, right? Being prepared to die, like getting ready for your human death, right? Well, you know, I had a good life. All's Well That Ends Well. But let's listen to the translation of the entire text of this. It's not very long in this movement. What is sung is this. I stand with one foot in my grave. Soon my afflicted body will fall into it. Come, dear Lord, if it pleases you. I have already put my house in order. Just let my ending be blessed. And this is a duet with a soprano singer. The soprano sings a chorale tune over Bach's original tenor melody. The soprano is singing, do with me, Lord, according To your goodness, help me in my suffering. I beg of you to not withhold from me. When my soul shall depart, take it into your hands, Lord. All is well that ends well. The opening movement of this church cantata is completely instrumental. Bach would do this from time to time for, with his opening movements. This one is just one of those gorgeous melodies. It's one of those tunes that gets arranged for lots of different instruments. Here we hear it with the solo oboist, with some light violin and viola accompaniment that Bach sets on these offbeats. We have the bass string instruments, as well as organ filling in the gaps. But it's really all about this oboe soloist and these gorgeous melodic lines. This is infinitely rearrangeable. There's Bach's own different versions, and then there's whatever else anyone has ever done. Yeah, <laughs> just last year or two years ago i used basically piano and guitar and the violin solo and the guitar was doing the those answering plucky uh, notes off the beat nice yeah that's that's a good instrumentation there's also arrangements for this for organ which works really well there's Bach's own Arrangement of this in a harpsichord concerto BWV 1056 Uh, Seems like he arranged that later and put this one in here first There is also a Theory that this one is not the first time Bach did this, but it's the first one we have found But there is a lost older version of this from an oboe concerto that he may have written What I love is that Bach, he wrote so much music, and we know it's all high quality, but he really did know, you know, when he had something really good. Kind of like that middle movement of the Alf cantata, which he rearranged. He knows when he's got something really special, and he knows to reuse it. There are a lot of pieces from this era and hymn texts and such that have to do with the subject of death and dying gracefully. Back in episode 8 of the first season, Christian, you talked all about this in our discussion on the Cantata Gautist site, which we both love that one so much. And it, it does deal with this, this topic that was at the forefront much more than it is in our modern day life this topic was at the forefront of life back then it was although i really appreciate the difference the slight difference in theme between these two cantatas like you say alex they're almost exactly the same they're both talking about basically gracefully coming to your own end but that Gotist site one was like it had some instructional manual type stuff in it. It said like the old laws that everyone has to die and that's why you should get all your, that's why get your house in order and like prepare all your documents and everything. Yeah. And that one was a little bit more instructional. This one is quite gentler. Yeah, and it's from that first person perspective of a person who has already gone through all of the Gotist site stuff. And right. is ready. I've already got my house in order. It says, "Yeah, it is. literally. Yeah, this person has already done go to site and now they're to this one." Yeah, I mean, they've got one foot in the grave. <laughs> yeah, you're right. In the later um, alto aria, there's a part where the soloist sings, "Lord, as you will." <laughs> talking about in the in my joy or in my suffering or in my dying and then later in in some of these base recitatives it gets a little more specific it basically says like if i have to suffer lord help me through it kind of thing right yeah because it's not just as simple as this person has accepted their own death if you're lucky maybe that's the case for you but not most of us don't really understand what it's going to be like or maybe you have faced it and it was clear from the experience that you did not feel like everything was in order for it to happen it's complicated yeah especially in the the modern day when we have a different understanding of of that thing of that kind of thing yeah certainly in in their time they would have been more used to facing the idea of it So as Bach wraps up this instrumental first movement, he ends on what's called the dominant chord, which means it needs to be leading somewhere. Most arrangements of this beautiful first movement have a different ending so that they can end on the tonic, which feels like the home chord. But this one, it it waits. And then In the next movement, he brings us back. So what you just heard there was my moment. Now let me play that again, and I'd I'd like you to try to listen to feel where the beats are, where the pulses are. Listen to that bass motion. I know that when I heard this, I could not figure it out. And even this last time listening to it, I didn't remember what it looked like on the page and I had to consult my score. And this is why I love this moment. There's a lot going on here musically and text painting wise. So what's nice here, if we're just gonna isolate this section is there's there are really only two things to listen for. There's the higher strings. That's all the violins and violas playing. Aligned together, in unison, and they stay on a long note for a while. They've got a first short note, but then they stay on a long note. They go, bum bum, and then they stay on there for a while. And listen to that lower part. Listen to the lower instruments plus harpsichord playing those notes. This is one of those things that can basically throw off even a professional musician trying to listen to this. Like, what, what is happening here? <laughs> and then we look and then we find out what it is. We find out that we have three counts per measure. We find out that all of these bass notes are happening on the off beats, so they're not happening on the pulse like you would think. It's It's pretty wild. This time I'm going to snap along and count with it so you can hear. Sort of the box that, the rhythmic box that this music is supposed to be fitting into. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And so on. You probably noticed that at the beginning of that counting, I was not lining up with the bass instruments. They were all off the beat. And that is how it is supposed to be. Bach does this kind of thing from time to time, but this is an extreme example. This is what's called syncopation. Um, each of these notes is anticipating the beat, getting there a little tiny bit early. And these notes just kind of are falling down and almost like tripping over themselves. And then, you know Bach just must be doing something here with text painting or some, something thematic with these notes. And then he really gives it to us more obviously when the tenor soloist comes in. We realize that that long note that we heard the violins and violas play, well, the tenor is singing Ich ste, right? I stand, and that long note is stand. Then when the tenor sings, it goes down on the word grappe. So now we're realizing the tenor is standing precariously, and then the notes of the word grave are lower. imagine like that one foot up high and then the other foot down low is what's happening here and that shaky foundation underneath with those bass instruments it's just really really clever text painting it's really bold yeah the rhythm stuff the the, the melodic contour that's that's par for the course in, in uh, making the text really feel like the music or vice versa but the rhythm thing is downright strange yeah i wonder um some of you listeners might be starting to get the hang of figuring out what our moments are going to be when we talk about what we're going to do for the next week i encourage you to listen to the the piece by the netherlands box society before you hear the episode and then guess what christians or my moment will be because like if you know (laughs) us you probably, and you listen to this cantata, you're going to say, oh, yeah, it's going to be this crazy rhythm thing in this second movement here. <laughs> and that's exactly what my wife did when she heard this. She was like, oh, that's it. <laughs> that's your moment. And I was like, yep, <laughs> yep. And um, rhythm is, I mean, I just, I'm a percussionist as well as my, my other sort of musical endeavors. And I have a degree in percussion performance. And I love rhythmic things. I love when rhythm is interesting. I get a lot of joy out of music that has complicated and very unusual rhythms. And that's usually not, that's usually not classical music in the, in the Western European sense, right? Even Baroque music usually doesn't have very interesting rhythms, right? If you look at music history, the common practice era stuff from Western music history, this like Baroque stuff and the Renaissance before it, and the sort of classical and romantic after it they are complicated in many ways harmonically and, and with polyphony, with Bach with and all this stuff, with Baroque music, it's amazing with polyphony, but it's really rhythmically very, very lacking compared to other cultures of the world at those times. And the traditional music of Eastern music and things like that had a lot more going on with complexity of rhythm. So when it comes to something like this that can really surprise me and and uh, it, it's delightful to me when I get surprised by something like this. But you know what, Christian? I think this goes to a, a broader theme about our podcast, which is these are moments that are delighting us in some way. Usually it's something that's surprising us in some way. And I just think that there's something about you and I, Christian, that makes us delight in the like sort of surprise in music or in any kind of art. And I like when things don't go the way I think they're going to go. And I think that's probably what appeals to people about composers like Bach too, you know? Absolutely. We don't get, as you say, Alex, in the Western music canon, we don't experience a lot of pieces that rhythmically push our boundaries of what we expect most of the rhythm in our Western music is basically a pattern of two or three notes based on stress, like a stressed one and then an unstressed one, stressed, unstressed, or maybe stressed and then two unstressed, like if it's a pattern of three. And then the subdivisions of those, and then of those, that's kind of about it. And then you can put those together, You know, multiply them by two and then, or by four, then you've got the length of a musical phrase, and you're working with beat durations that are typically simple groups of two or four or three, that kind of thing. So when notes kind of seem like they're off by a one beat or a half a beat in this case, that really stands out. Yeah. And in this case, I think it's technically correct to say that the notes are all one half beat early. Yeah. they they do have one step out of alignment one foot out of alignment you could say that's right syncopation is a huge part of modern pop music actually like like modern music takes many forms one of them is like film score music but modern film score music doesn't do this very much but modern pop music and actually really pop and and rock and you know, funk and hip-hop and really jazz before it and all this stuff, there's a lot to do with syncopation. Even if you listen to ragtime music, that's like full of it. And these are just these notes that are just getting put a little bit early. And even pop music nowadays that has rhythms that don't seem syncopated, what's happening is the words are syncopated with their stresses. And it ends up sounding syncopated. So to use an example from the song Skater Boy by... Avril Lavigne showing my real musical cred here. (laughs) Like, this is a good example of that. There's like, there's the chorus of skater boy. And the song says like, he was a skater boy. She said, see you later, boy. Right. Do you know what I'm talking about? She said, see you later. Of course course. I do. (laughs) You know, Avril Lavigne, (laughs) skater boy. But like, if the beat is this, it's like, he was a skater boy. She said, see you later, boy. Like, See ya later, boy. Like, if it was on the beat, it would be, see ya later, boy. But if you notice, the natural word stresses are, are landing on the offbeats when I'm not snapping. The natural word stresses are landing on, see ya later, boy. So it's like, even though the notes are just one and two and three straight, straight ahead notes, the syllables, like the way that we speak these words, makes it syncopated. There's tons of different kinds of syncopations, not just rhythmic syncopation, not just straight rhythmic syncopations in pop music. And it's kind of always been that way. And every time classical music does that, it like, you know, nobody's ever going to be fooled and make and, and think that this sounds like pop music because there's so much else different about it, obviously, with instrumentation and all and everything. But it still gives it a little bit of extra rhythmic charm for me that reminds me of some of the syncopations in like more recent music. Yeah. Although it's really interesting that they don't really have the same effect, pop music syncopation will just add rhythmic momentum and energy a lot of the time. Whereas this kind of thing for Baroque text setting is basically designed by Bach to make this like this musical passage be off kilter right it's a special effect in this music whereas it's a normal tech it's like a standard technique in pop music in the yeah in in skater boy she's not she's not doing something special there and trying to do some text painting you know about what's happening in that song no that's just like a normal thing that pop musicians do as par for the course right so sometimes that so that like syllabic syncopation does happen in Baroque music. It's not really happening much in this particular movement, but it happens a lot. And like you said, Christian, it usually symbolizes something is a little off kilter. And I just want to point out that if you take a music theory course and you learn about all the different kinds of ways a certain note can be not aligned with the vertical harmony it's supposed to be a part of, you'll learn terms like suspension and passing tones and things like that. There's a lot of them. One of them you'll learn is the anticipation, which is when a note appears to come earlier than the vertical chord that it should be aligned with. In this cantata, there there are passages like this one, where every note is an anticipation. Each note is—it's the opposite of a, its the opposite of delay, right? It's—it's it's early. Yep. It just. It's just the perfect metaphor for this text. It is. It's it's such a it's such a great deployment of this technique. It's such a great reason to deploy this technique. It's one thing I love about Bach is when he does these interesting things, he's not just doing it just to do it. There's always a reason textually. It makes listening to this instrumental introduction a little uncomfortable What you say yeah for sure i mean like i said i could not figure out where the beat was and even at the end of it so we get to the end which you know the tenor has sung let my ending be blessed right and the soprano all's well that ends well right and so you would hope this would end well right and it does of course it lands on a nice cadence but i found this (laughs) just just very unusual and cool The ending, uh, it does that same thing as the beginning, like you'd expect, except it's in a different key this time, which is really unusual. In our instrumental intro, we started like we were in F, which makes sense with a long note F. And at the instrumental ending, right after the tenor sings the last note, now we're in B flat and it's in the four key, which is weird. It's just unusual. This whole thing is just transposed, but it still ends up in the right place at the very end, at the F. Yeah, it's kind of a trick. It it is a trick. The way he even laid it out at the beginning, it ended up on the C, so that the whole thing could be transposed perfectly with a couple of octave displacements. So basically what I'm saying in, in layman's terms there is that Bach does, as he's known to do, construct things with such foresight that even though it's it feels a little awkward and weird, like we've said this whole rhythmic thing does too, it still all gets put together like a puzzle so that at the end it works out perfectly. Yeah, it's like leaving out of one door and then returning back through a different door. Because he goes from F, winds up in C, which is very normal. But then the trick he pulls at the end... To get back to f is that he has to begin that exact passage in b flat because the relationship between f to c is the same as the relationship between b flat to f right but it is unusual to have an instrumental ending like mostly in the the four key which in this case is b flat like that's weird and then the tenor the tenor note ends on an f which works in the key of B flat. So all of this is just like, you know, if this sounds complicated, it's actually like for Bach, this would have been a pretty easy puzzle as far as his puzzles go, right? Because these relationships are simple compared to the more complex stuff that he has done before. But it just all, again, it all, it all just comes together so perfectly. And of course, we've skipped analyzing any of the middle of this movement, which has a lot of complexity that we won't get into right now. So there you have it, one foot in the grave, and not just a piece of music that depicts that in one way with with the vocalist singing, singing about standing and holding a note and then the grave being a lower note, but also this unsureness in the bass, right? Also this weird key at the end. There is uncertainty, but there's also, it's, it's both, right? It's an uncertainty mixed with a sort of trust, I guess. It winds up it winds up correct at the end. And that is exactly what the soloist sings about. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really beautiful sentiment here because the English translation here, Do with me, God, according to thy goodness. My ailing body will soon fall in. That is the grave. Yeah. Help me in my suffering. And it's basically one of those situations where I'm not sure what will happen. Maybe it would be good you know, to my fellow members of the community if I could stick around a little bit longer. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. Maybe not. But I would like to not suffer you know, at the end. It's just a really nice and completely obvious sentiment that I think is so very human and um, sort of transcends time. You know, It still makes a lot of sense to me that someone could ask for something this simple at the end of their life. Yeah. And it, it comes from having that strong faith throughout your life to be able to say those things like what we hear in the fourth movement in gladness and in sadness. Always treat me, Lord, as thou will. Or, Lord, you know, your will be done is basically what you're saying. And that's the mindset, right? Do not spare me and have thy way let my affliction not last long the longer here the later there (laughs) interesting but also not afraid to ask to be relieved from suffering which is important too sure and in a way that that being the more sure thing in the mind of that person right like a lot of uncertainties about life but the sureness of eternal life after the earthly death. Receive my soul, Lord, into thy hand. Only let my end be a blissful one. For all is good if the end is good. Or put another way, all's well that ends well. now, here is that moment from the aria. If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of this cantata, please see the link in the episode description to see the performance by the Netherlands Bach Society. Do you want to hear our new episodes as we release them find us on your podcast app and hit subscribe okay what are we looking at for next episode christian we'll return to the mass in b minor to take a listener request hmm. the qui aria nice until next time enjoy those moments